Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is a special bonus episode where we are discussing a number of films that we caught at the 2023 Sundance Film Festival. I am Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we usually dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a theater or a streaming platform near you. Um, but as you just mentioned, we're talking about festival films that we caught this past weekend. Um, Steven and I purchased the award-winning package thingy-majigger from Sundance, um, who was having, you know, a, a number of their films available uh, for the online community to buy tickets and stuff. Um, so we decided to jump in on that. Um, since last year, we didn't really get to do a lot of festivals at all. And we're like, hey, this one's still digital. Let's go in there. Let's see a few things. You know, before we dive into the films that we have selected to talk about, uh, Stephen, why don't you just talk a little bit about your experience with this festival potentially compared to other festivals or just uh or you, or you can stick to this one yeah i mean if we are talking in terms of booking gosh it was so seamless we definitely didn't spend two and a half hours <laughs> on a video call sitting there trying to understand why films weren't available to reserve um no as usual i i am i feel a little conflicted about sundance because on the one hand their online booking system is really annoying and they're very opaque about what is going to be online and what won't be. And they clearly are not catering to the online audience as like the primary one. Yeah. But at the same time, I love that a festival this big is committing to keeping most things online, you know, in 2023. Yeah. Because a lot of festivals like TIFF, for instance, stopped doing that this last year, can never did it right um yeah the ability to maintain this kind of accessibility without traveling you know across the country to sit in a packed theater and potentially get covid uh, i i really like that um in terms of the quality of the films at the festival i feel i feel pretty good about it this year it seems like the same mix that i'm kind of used to at at sundance in particular maybe with a couple more the highs were, I would say, higher than Sundance last year, uh, and the lows were probably the same. Um, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we had like one high last year that was higher than any of this. But in general, I, <laughs> I felt like the quality bar was a bit higher this year, but roughly the same, the same mix. You know, where you never know if you're gonna watch a movie that feels extremely like a festival movie which is a kind of adjective that we use as a pejorative when we review things occasionally <laughs> or if you're going to you know watch a movie that feels fully formed feels like it could have been anywhere and this i felt like had a had a good mix of both we'll kind of get into the details so overall i was happy with it i thought the apple tv app worked very seamlessly like i had no problems using that the whole time i was happy how quickly it was to set up so yeah can't complain yeah, I mean, I, I, as, as we already mentioned, it was brutal trying to book things. I think, you know, you were talking about the selection and feeling, you know, good or bad about it. You know, I, I think in the past, we've been able to book more things that we specifically were looking forward to. Um, and I know mm -hmm. when you're buying an awards package, it's kind of like whatever got awarded are the things that you have a chance to to watch. But I think it was also as we were going through that booking thing it was like uh just add it to a slot because we don't know if we're going to get anything else and it was kind of like this dance of trying to get it in there so i really didn't like the selection not not the selection of mm -hmm. film the actual films but like it was less i have these are a known quantity quantity to me at the moment and more like a 
sure that category sounds like something that could be interesting let's just grab that right. film um it, it, it was closer to just like if you selected two random days of when we did the full sundance film festival and you were just like whatever we saw on tuesday and wednesday is yeah. what we're reviewing right that was that was kind of the mix that i felt like we had yeah like to what you said though their apple tv app was fucking amazing like by far of all the digital festivals we've done including past digital sundance this the experience here it felt like a like a real app it didn't feel like a mobile phone app that was ported to the apple tv with like it was native apple tv controls it was super responsive if you wanted to maybe skip through one of the 17 bumpers that played before every films you Mm -hmm. just mash that forward button and it would just seamlessly go um i was yeah i, was, I, w- I wasn't gonna lead with how many of those i skipped but <laughs> yeah they made it way easier this year <laughs> I, I i will say uh and it, like the actual quality of the stream was amazing too i think yeah i think it wasn't until shada that i had a transfer that was a little bit macro blocky um i don't know if you mm-hmm. know the winds changed <laughs> at my place or something but I, I think when i hit that film i was like oh this one's noticeably Something about this transfer is noticeably worse than the other ones, um, but it might have just been like having the baked in subtitles versus like the native ones made it stand out more if there were like a little bit of blocking stuff. But I I, I really, really was impressed yeah. by the quality of of the streams. I also have a much better setup now than I did <laughs> last time we yeah, did the festival. I, I... I do love, though, as well, that the app is native because, you know, TIFF, for instance, in the years when there was a TIFF option available to us, um, minus geofencing, we won't get into that, um, <laughs> it still seemed powered. If if I remember correctly, everything, no matter what you used, was clearly under the hood, just like a web app that was using yeah. like a web viewer and web streaming. And at least for me, there was no way to put that on my TV without having some weird kind of frame stuttering that would happen like there's something about the fact that it wasn't just a seamless thing that i could always tell i could always tell that i was in a kind of janky app and maybe i was like zooming it to fill so i wouldn't see some like border that i didn't want to see on the tv but yeah the sundance one feels like you're watching netflix like it was just smooth and buttery better in terms of compression than netflix too (laughs) like i didn't get nearly as many artifacts as i do on on some of those apps yeah yeah for sure um, but yeah, so that, that's sort of the experience of 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 what we had going into this. Um, are, are you excited to talk about this fil- these films, Stephen? Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm. Like, there are a few that I'm excited to hear your take. I think I can surmise <laughs> most of them, but I'm excited. One thing I said to Joanna on day two of the festival was like, I'm excited to learn without sharing any notes how much overlap Chris and I have in our feelings about these movies because <laughs> they don't all conform with the critical opinion, I don't think. And it'll be interesting if we still collide or not. Yeah, I, I don't know if we want to do a tiny spoiler segment at the end just because I I have to talk to some somebody about where Magazine Dreams goes <laughs> at the end of the film. <laughs> I, think, I think we can do that. Okay. Because <laughs> that's one of the worst things about being at the festivals. You can't just turn around to somebody and be like, "You watch that too, right?" <laughs> you, you like, yeah. You just have to sit with it on your own, um, or, or maybe start a podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Stephen, let's get in to our list of films that we're talking about. All right. So first off, we are going to start uh, with a little film called Slow, uh, which is a 
a Lithuanian film that is sort of a a romance film, rom- romantic drama about two people who meet and enter a relationship. Um, the catch of this relationship is um, one of the people is a woman who, you know, has needs and is used to having those needs fulfilled. And the other person in a relationship is a man who is a self-proclaimed uh, asexual person. Um, and it's sort of about how they do this dance between, well, in some cases it's a literal dance yep. and in other cases it is a metaphorical dance between these two people who feel fondly for each other, um, want to be in a relationship and can that relationship be sustained, um, when they have two very, very different lifestyles and needs from each other. Um, you know, I assume I, this is where we're going to find out that slow is actually like a different word in Lithuanian that means something else. Uh, but I assume uh, it's called slow because it's about the slow progression of will this relationship work together and like they need to enter this sort of agreement together slowly. Um, who knows? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I think I, w- I was very curious what this film was going to do because obviously it's you know interesting subject matter and it could probably say a lot about the nature of being in a rom- romantic relationship um, physically versus emotionally, mentally, everything. Um, I think that for me, this film didn't really dive into its subject matter enough. It was mostly characters just stating the needs they have or don't have. Um, and it didn't really feel like a strong dissection of the nature of what that relationship was. So for me, it didn't fully pull me in like i was on board for following these two people and i wanted to see where it was going to go but it, it always felt surface level to me um and i don't know if that's just like a, you know a language barrier thing where it it didn't hit me the same as a drama that would have pulled me in more but i think you know interesting concept i wanted to see where it was going but in the end i didn't feel it really um it really got me there personally <laughs> what did you think of it steven yeah, I I really liked it. I would say I at least borderline loved the movie Slow. Um, I, I agree with you that I think textually it doesn't unpack a lot of this. Like this is very far removed from one of those kind of um, play-like movies where couples like heatedly discuss their relationship and it gets deeper and deeper. This is really about the feeling. Like, And I think what I liked about this movie was the way it conveyed the kind of differences between intimacy and sex and what what trade-offs there might be Uh, like for example the way these two people fall in love and we won't spoil where it goes in the end but the way they enter into a relationship absent sex it's very much this other thing coming to the fore which i would describe as learning to play again like having fun being silly being imaginative having this kind of space where you are totally yourself to another person. And there was something I just found very delightful about their interactions where they are, they're finding all these other ways to be unguarded. And it kind of seems like the, I, I really should have looked up the the names of these characters. Elena <laughs> is, is the woman. Um, Elena, because Elena is the one going on a journey, right? Uh, Davidas, that's probably not how you pronounce it, but he is asexual and he knows that at the very beginning and he announces it to her early on. Elena is the person who is used to a sexual, not even relationship, like a, she says, promiscuous life. Like she's used to being single, you know, and sleeping around. And yeah. she is physical everywhere, right? Like it isn't a coincidence that she's a dancer. Like she, yeah. 
she shows herself through like intense, passionate, physical gestures. And then this relationship is kind of opening up a different side of her in a way that I thought was really lovely to watch. Whereas on the flip side, he, again, not a coincidence, is a sign language interpreter. And like he he uses his body to do things, but it isn't the same kind of passion energy. It's like he uses it to communicate from a remove. And I, I thought there was just something about the dynamic that was really, really interesting. And I um, yeah. I don't know, it just made me think a lot about my own, you know, my marriage and relationships I've had in my life. And like that, that blurry line where it's like, what is the difference between romance and closeness and friendship? And like, where do all these things wrap together? And I just thought it was a really interesting dissection of all those pieces. So I really liked it more for the vibe and the kind of charming nature of the leads than for anything was literally saying about relationships. Yeah. But I was able to put it a lot into it. And like everything you said is like 100% true. Like the the setup and the way everything works and what those people do for their their livings, I guess, like all of that is great. Like all of that works really, mm -hmm. really well. I just, this is a film that allows characters to say what they think and what they think is, it, it just feels like they're stating the thing verbatim, but not really. Yeah. Like for people who are so expressive... <laughs> When they state the actual themes, it's never expressive. It's just, but the vibes are 100% there. I'll definitely agree. Yeah. Well, moving on to something that certainly had vibes. Um, <laughs> the World <laughs> Cinema Grand Jury Prize Dramatic uh, was a movie called Scrapper, which the moment you and I read the description of it, we were like, oh yeah, of course we're going to watch this movie. Obviously. Um, it was directed by Charlotte Regan. Or Regan. Uh, it is set in the outskirts of London. And it is about a young girl named Georgie, a 12-year-old, who after her mother has died, she's basically living alone in London with her friend, stealing bikes, you know, kind of toughing it on her own. And then all of a sudden, her father, uh, the Triangle of Sadness guy, uh, Harris Dickinson, <laughs> enters the picture. And the question is, how is this going to go? How is this tenuous relationship that she's never had going to work out? Um, it's interesting because this should be the kind of movie... I love at a festival like Sundance. I mean, you know, I like tenuous relationships with parents and younger kids and getting into their world and seeing a kid be independent. And I'm, I'm all for that stuff. This movie, it felt like the most Sundance thing ever. And I mean that as a pejorative <laughs> um, <laughs> to me. <laughs> this felt like if someone saw me and Earl and the dying girl and tried to reduce it to just like a hard drug of twee and was like, this is what we're doing. We are doing the, we're going to have quick cuts. We're going to have people being imaginative. We're going to have random interjections where it's showing spiders and they're doing a silly voice to voice each one. We're going to have like, you know, that scene in every movie to the point where it's a cliche where you look at two people and then imagine what conversation they're having. Yeah, we're going to do that. And there's not going to really be a twist. We're just going to do it. Um, <laughs> I felt like this movie that was kind of a twist. <laughs> yeah. OK, the way it escalates was kind of a twist. I, I just felt like this movie, it was trying so hard, but I didn't feel like it had a lot of substance on top of the the editing and the pace and the the it wanted to be this frenetic like 
Danny Boyle type positive <laughs> movie. And I just feel like it didn't have anything to say. Uh, the lead actress is cute. You know, it, it's her first film and she definitely carries the role. You know, I, I don't really know how to judge a 12 year old beyond that. But I just didn't think there was any nuance to how their relationship develops. I didn't think there was a whole lot at stake. And I kind of felt like the moment the dad appears, you know, everything that is going to happen in the movie roughly. And it didn't really deviate from that track at all. So I was honestly pretty let down by this. I couldn't believe when you wrote down what the awards were, that this won the grand jury and not the audience award, because this feels like the kind of thing audiences would go for in the kind of sentimental, ooh, it was really cute way. I, I just don't think there was a lot of craft on display or a lot of anything. So I was kind of, I wasn't irritated by the movie, but I was kind of like, okay, that this is the winner. I, I don't know. I, I, I was pretty let down by it. Yeah, I, I think the the way I would describe the film is cute. Um, it's just it's just it's just a cute film, right? Like it's not it's not very it's not super deep. Um, I was kind of bothered by the the fake office sort of interview stuff that's happening, where it's like, oh, yeah. just for fun, we're gonna cut to these people that are characters in this person's life and have them say a st- statement about them. I really hated the talking spiders, um, uh-huh. and like. Let, let, let's face it, this child is not old enough to even imagine spiders that talk with like a Nintendo RPG uh, word box popping up. <laughs> like, right. Like there's, there's no reference for what this kid is trying to do. This is just like flair that people wanted to put into the film. You know exactly where this film is going. All that stuff is true. Um, I'll admit though, Steven, damn it if I didn't cry at the end. Ooh, um, wow. If if you like you you really don't think like you know what's going to happen like it's telegraphed all the way there but that didn't hit you at all. I didn't cry even a little. <laughs> I I really I was just I'm dead inside. I once I felt like this movie was just going like I don't know playing playing the hits or whatever. I just kind of tuned out emotionally of the movie, so it yeah. didn't. It didn't work for me. I can see that it did the thing. Like, that is why it wouldn't have surprised me if it won an audience award. But yeah. it just, like, didn't... It didn't really hit me. And, yeah, I, I feel you. I completely forgot about the fake interview style because it was just so nothing there. Like, one of the laziest uses of mockumentary in this list. <laughs> um, <laughs> <but> we, can, <laughs> we could talk more in the future. There'll definitely be more mockumentary to talk about. <laughs> um... Yeah, so another another thing that's kind of interesting is like, you know, we had two days to watch eight films um, and uh, we both watched seven. <laughs> um, Divide and conquer in a very inefficient way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing about when you're doing this is, you know, that you're you're in for eight hours of films. Basically, you're going to sit down, you're going to watch them, you're going to take a break uh, between films to go to the bathroom, maybe grab a snack, but you're just forced to watch it. So I do wonder if, because you watched Slow first and then Scrapper, right? Because we're, we're, we're kind of mm. going in, in your order of films. So I watched Magazine yeah. Dreams and then Scrapper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could change it. <laughs> so I was comparing it to the nuanced relationship building I had just witnessed. And you needed a hug. <laughs> <laughs> so, So, I mean... It's not an argument about any film. 
uh, necessarily, but that is um, it is it's just 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 interesting to see like the order in which you watch something can definitely affect how emotionally invested you could uh, get into it. Um, but yeah, uh, time to move on. Coincidentally into a film that won the u.s dramatic special jury award for creative vision and that is the film we just referenced which is magazine dreams um, which is a film that uh you know if you've been paying attention at all to sort of talk around the festival you probably were hearing about uh this performance that jonathan majors gave of this character of a bodybuilder who is obsessed with you know one day getting on the cover of these you know, bodybuilding magazines, you know, one day in his sort of his entire life is devoted to this. Um, he lives a simple life that's completely focused on just, you know, getting every little extra inch of muscle into his body so that he can go up on a stage and flex and hopefully become a, you know, potential visual role model for people that are like him who just dream to be that big and that bulky and, and to have the perfect physique or whatever. Um, this is a film where Jonathan Majors is giving just a ridiculously incredible performance in it. He is giving it as all you you he is so sympathetic for about an hour and a half of this film. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um I was I was really drawn in, really cared about this character when he made uh you know maybe interpersonal mistakes uh when he tried to interact with other people in the world, you really really felt for him. He seemed like this tragic figure that you really really wanted to to care, not necessarily give a hug because when he hugged you back, you would probably die because that's how strong he is. Yeah. Um, but I, but I was really invested in this film and I was really, really enjoying it. And then this film has seven endings where it, it almost feels like there were seven alternate endings. And rather than pick one to finally show the film, they just did all of them. Like these are all the places that this character could go in the future. But instead, he just goes to all of them and all of them feel like they come out of nowhere uh, like like in in other stories a character something would start to enter their life and they'd sort of a they'd sort of be drawn into different ideals and potentially uh things uh that might change their perspective on the rest of the world this film feels like instead of that progressively happening over time he just went out and seeked out that thing even though he didn't know it existed (laughs) before he went to seek it Mm -hmm. out and then that just forms where the rest of this film goes and i think that this film like i have never watched a film that i bounced off of so hard in the last 50 minutes as it as with magazine dreams like it was an amazing film there's even what feels like a cut to black where credits could roll um and then you just have an hour left of the movie that is way worse than anything you've watched up until that moment and it really took it took away from the experience for me and i'm kind of sad that we didn't get that first film which felt like a perfect gem of a story about this tragic uh figure and instead we got like this stuff that felt nowhere near as well done as the beginning of the film uh steven how did you feel about it yeah i mean i i agree with your take on it the the ending didn't bother me as much in that it didn't like completely tarnish my feeling about the movie but i believe the first 90 minutes of this movie are incredibly compelling like like jonathan majors is just incredible in this movie he's great um he's great in a way that is hard to decipher his character but in a way where like you believe this is a real person and he just is like revealing 
quirks over time. You know, for instance, occasionally the character will speak kind of very calmly and eloquently, like when he's in therapy. And then other times he will try to speak in situations and it feels like a an alien who is learning how to emote to other human beings. And like for a little while, I was trying to figure out why why does he toggle between these things? And then over time it started to like, it became one whole character and I kind of like understood the, the pressure he feels and the, the things that makes him behave the way he behaves. Like I thought it was a lot of obvious comparisons here, you know, a uh, Joker, which is to say King of comedy. Um, the idea of watching a person who has this like dream of celebrity and they are obsessed with it and the way that makes them kind of unravel over time and they try to relate to other people and they think they are but they just can't quite get there like but i think this is an interesting twist on it for a few reasons first of all because of the the physicality of the performance like there's just so much inherent danger in his (laughs) anger yeah. You know, from the beginning, it isn't a journey into anger. Like he already has that temper at, at the very beginning. Um, I also think it's provocative in a different way. Like, I, I think the two best scenes in the movie, to me, both take place at eating establishments. One is a date, um, which is just incredibly well done in the squirmy discomfort that you feel as you watch it play out. Yeah. Um, and and then the second one is an outburst at a diner around what I think could have been a wonderful end of the movie. But then there's much more movie left to go. Yeah. Um, and in that outburst, Jonathan Major's character, he is like making the subtext text a little where he talks about like, look, I, I'm a black man, an unarmed black man, but you're scared of me, aren't you? You see me as a threat. He's doing the thing where he's like, the movie is playing with that provocation where it's like, what, what is making us judge him? And yet we have also seen this particular person be very dangerous. And the movie is like, it wants to make you uncomfortable in a way that I found really, really, really compelling. Like, I thought this was a very interesting movie with a ton up its sleeve. And then, like you said, it goes into other endings and it explores other avenues that this character can go down and try to find fulfillment and those went between feeling gratuitous to me in a way there were moments like a scene in a nightclub where i i was thinking god no don't do this not in a i'm on the edge of my seat way but in a please movie don't do this i don't want this to be what you do um and then from there it turns into ending after ending which doesn't even really feel tethered to the rest of the movie. And yeah. I agree with you. It it doesn't quite stick the landing. Um, but I still think the power of Jonathan Major's performance and the like near perfection of that first 90 minutes is makes this definitely worth recommending. But f- fumbled, I would say, in the screenplay. Yeah. I, I think the reason why the endings bother me so much is it's not the film isn't even willing to stand by its own convictions. It like flip flops on the narrative it wants to tell in those multiple endings where like those moments where you're like, please don't do this. And then it's like, well, maybe we'll do something else. And it's like, just pick something and go with it. Even if you do the thing that I don't agree with, at least you stuck to something and you chose that as the ending you wanted. But trying to like play in so many different avenues sucks. Um, But to say one last positive thing towards this film, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I came away with 
from the beginning of the film is a, a good way to describe this film is imagine the film Whiplash, but Jonathan Majors is playing both Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons at the same time. <laughs> like, I feel like... Yeah. <laughs> I... I, I agree with that. I think there are a lot of interesting comparisons here to like watching him record and re-record and re-record his video over and over again. And the fluster he feels like I, I know yeah. I brought up this movie a lot, but a little part of me felt eighth grade again. I was like, oh, <laughs> come on, buddy. But he takes it to such and, and like this whole character is also very informed. Like the film opens with him talking to his therapist about like they don't put grocery stores in our neighborhood. And he is clearly feeling the weight of a lot of trauma you know like social trauma and the fact that he is being outcast and othered and anger at his situation and the movie like it keeps that there but it insists on being challenging it doesn't go yeah. from there and make him some kind of you know uh some kind of purely tragic figure like it goes from there and then it's like now how much can we provoke you how much can i make you think and feel unease and try to figure out why are you feeling unease you know like uh, he th this guy asks a a young white woman out on a date and we're watching them just have a conversation and she is going through this thing of like how do i feel about him am i am i having an irrational reaction or am i having a valid reaction and as an audience member i'm also feeling all of that where i'm like oh my god please connect to him Oh, but don't connect to him, but connect to him, but don't connect to him. Like it, it, it toys with you in a way that I thought was really, really well done. Yeah. One, one last thing I want to say, which is not any, it's not anything about the movie itself, but it's just, a, it's about me personally. Uh, it, in our, our end of year review, I talked a little bit about like not being able to watch people wipe out. Um, like if I'm like scrolling through something and there's like a skateboarder about to like about to land a trick, I'll just flick away because I don't want to watch them not land the trick. Mm -hmm. The same thing that gets me there gets me when I see overly muscular bodies flexing. Like there's something about like just like it, it, it really weirds me out. And I found this film difficult to watch at times. Just the, the flexing of like muscles that can't be contained within the body that has them. It's just something about that really weirds me out. And I, it, it just like some people can't watch The Last of Us because of tendrils. I can't. I, I had a hard time watching this film because <laughs> because of all the muscly bodies. Whew, that smile, though, <laughs> incredible smile. <laughs> <Ugh>. Anyways, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, m moving on to the audience award for world cinema uh, dramatic in the dramatic category. See, I forgot how we were gonna verbalize these awards. Um, <laughs> In the category of dramatic films in the world cinema division, this won the Audience Award. And it is a film called Shada, uh, which is a film by an Iranian director uh, set in Australia. And it is very clearly a personal story. I, you know, I, I would say almost almost with documentary precision, as we learn by the Q&A. Um, yeah. It basically tells the story of a woman named Shada, who is living in a woman's shelter, a woman's home in Australia after trying to divorce her husband um, because he was abusive and him refusing to accept her divorce. You know, in uh, in Persian culture, at least, there is a very big patriarchal thing. Uh, over the last 
year in particular, we've seen a lot happening in Iran of, you know, women's uprisings and women's movements. And this very clearly lands like when those feelings are taking place. Um, it is partly just a kind of intimate look at how this mother and her young daughter, I don't remember how old she's supposed to be. I, I would say probably like, like seven or eight. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, very young girl. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I never know. <laughs> yeah. They, this is partly just a kind of a beautiful story about how, how it feels to live in a woman's shelter. You know, the, the assistance that is provided to you, the loneliness that you feel, but it's also a kind of tense drama about this woman. Shada doesn't want to be recognized. She doesn't want her husband to know where she is living. And she also is feeling outcast by the Iranian community in, in her city because people talk, you know, and divorcing your husband is a big deal. And everyone kind of, not everyone, but a lot of people feel like she should get back with him. What did he do? That was all that bad. Um, I thought this movie was fantastic. Like this was personally my favorite thing that I watched at the festival. I think, um, it just does such a wonderful job of telling a really unique personal story. Like it does the thing that a festival like Sundance is perfect for, which is saying, I'm going to take this particular slice of experience and I'm just going to unpack it. I'm going to show it to you and I'm going to make you inhabit the emotions of a person going through something very hard. Um, I thought when it needed to be very tense, it was very, very tense. When it needed to be heartwarming, it was heartwarming. It did a lot of just teaching me about, you know, Persian culture by way of just showing their life, right? Like showing her dance with her daughter, showing them celebrate the new year. Things where it didn't feel a need to explain it, but it just immersed you in it in a way that I found powerful in its own way. And it it has a message. It's upholding something positive in society. It kind of has like a call to action implied in it of, you know, support these places, support women in this situation. But it's very personal and very true and isn't lecturing you. Like, I, I just thought this was beautifully done. Um, the lead actress, Zaramir Ibrahimi, she was also the star of Holy Spider, which was one of my honorary mentions in my top 10 list uh, in, in our podcast review. And between this movie and Holy Spider, I think she's just like a force to be reckoned with. I, I think she's incredibly good in this movie. And on a personal note, I just think Farsi is like a beautiful language. <laughs> I, I really liked even just <laughs> listening to to them talk in this movie. So I, don't, I, I felt like it, it showed me a culture and a life that I haven't seen before. It did it with amazing emotional moments. It has family drama. It has social drama. It, it it just has everything I want in a movie like this. So I was a big fan. Yeah, I mean, if if uh, if, if if people haven't sensed a pattern of, of how most of the festival went for me um, in that I didn't necessarily care for everything that much, um, this was definitely the strongest thing that I think at the festival. It's It's the most, you know, it knows what it's trying to do. It does that extremely well. As you talked about already, like, the tension of this film, the paranoia of of always, you know, just going out to the store to buy groceries and just worrying that somebody might recognize you, having anybody gesture in a way that seems knowing to you, and then interpreting that to mean like the worst possible thing. Like I I I really found it, you know, uh, uh, an amazing uh, story and journey for these characters to go on. Um, 
you know, it, it was interesting to look at the little tiny glimpses you get at the other of of the other women in the shelter as well. And just kind of watching um, these events play out. And, you know, as you said, like knowing that it, it is a film that comes from a very, very personal place. Um, it yeah, it just it executed on everything perfectly. And I think it was a very, very strong film that I enjoyed more than a lot of the other things that I saw at this festival. Yeah. I, uh, I I missed a key aspect of this, uh, unless you said it already, which is the a lot of the paranoia comes from the fear that uh, the estranged husband is going to abduct her daughter and yeah. take her back to Iran, where she won't be able to retrieve her anymore. So it's a movie with not just personal stakes on the level of divorce or social shunning, but also a real criminal threat at play. And I yeah, think yeah. it toggles between those really well. There, there is something which I, I guess I'll try to skirt around a little bit that plays in around that subject matter. What, was it the Australian government that dictated that that part of the story? Or was it like some stuff back home that that was causing the, that situation? You mean what a judge, what yeah, a yeah. judge mandated? Yeah, this is all the Australian government, okay. I believe. Well, maybe it was a condition of the shelter arrangement or something I, I don't know something was maybe yeah something i didn't get how that shit even worked like i was kind of like are you kidding mm -hmm. me that that seems ridiculous um yeah i i think that is the reaction you are supposed to have yeah i would hazard a guess that that is just really what happened to the mother of the director uh if if we didn't say this the director is clearly the the daughter in this movie the little girl and this is kind of an ode to her mother who went through this yeah but yeah, I also didn't understand all the legal proceedings. Uh, even the opening scene, there's a lot going on there that I never fully went back around and understood. But I I respect when a movie just kind of puts me in the middle of it and doesn't try to hold my hand too much. Yeah. And it's it's like we are watching the film from the mother's point of view. But the filmmakers, the daughter, who even though she asked her mother to write a memoir that she could adapt into this film, it's still sort of coming from that vantage point of her having been a child living through it and the mother explaining right. so it's, there is this there's a fun sort of like it's not quite an after son situation <laughs> but it's yeah but it, it it is interesting the way that dynamic sort of plays out uh across the film and i guess in real life yeah cool um so going from a very serious drama about uh tense family dynamics we're gonna move on into a uh comedy uh about what it is like to go to a theater camp that is in danger of being foreclosed on and how you can try to you know uh <laughs> figure out how to keep everybody i don't know it, it, this is a this is a film called theater camp um, which is this sort of zany we, we already joked earlier about doing like the office style fake uh, documentary um, characters like mugging to the camera and sort of playing around. And, and this film is just riddled with that. This is a film that um, I have to go out on a limb here and say that uh, if you went to a theater camp in your life, this film is probably like a laugh riot and probably hits home so well. Uh, Probably a cult classic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did not. So I don't have that well to dip into, but I still kind of enjoyed this movie. <laughs> it, it's, 
it is just a weird, silly film that is just going for the silliest jokes that I know I'm not in on the joke, but it's still enough of a joke that it works without having to have the background. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's great. I would not say it's great. Uh, but I I, I kind of had fun with it. <laughs> and that's kind of the best I could say for it. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to apologize to me for kind of having fun with it. I also kind of had fun with this movie. The thing is, what it has in its favor is it has a handful of jokes that were literally laugh out loud for me. Like there were multiple moments where something happened and I was alone in headphones on my couch just laughing at, at things. And, you know, that just makes me feel goodwill toward a comedy, even though I think a lot of the choices it is making are lazy or just don't make sense. Like I, I alluded to the mockumentary format. There isn't even a single talking head in this movie. It's like a mockumentary only so the camera can zoom in and swirl in the way that the office does. Right. Yeah. Like, and it's really very, only very lazy. One character too. That's looking at the camera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't even have a lot of the fourth wall breaking. It, it, it feels like they did it just because it is a comedic language that they know they can piggyback off of, you know, as easily as possible. Um, It also is made to feel like a 70s period piece, at least for me, even though it is not because characters have iPhones and reference Post Malone songs and everything. But the, (laughs) the texture of the movie feels like a throwback. And I don't know why. Like, it was another thing that I just didn't. I, I didn't see a reason for that decision. Um, it's also a movie where jokes occasionally drag way too far. Like, it, I, I think the ideal version of this movie is one of those recurring shorts that is cut in like a variety show where they keep coming back to the story again and showing us different parts of the camp. Yeah. So like you could live with the characters, but never have to live with them over a full <laughs> 90 minute. You could um, visit with the characters, interval. but not have to live with them. <laughs> Yeah, but with that said, there were a lot of really, really funny moments. I love, like, uh, AO appearing and pretending to be an expert in stage combat and accents. <laughs> There's a lot of great, great jokes there. I think Ben Platt is, like, very funny in, in this movie. Um, I, I feel like he redeemed himself for Dear Evan Hansen <laughs> uh, <laughs> a, a little bit here. Um, Patty Harrison always makes me laugh and her being the kind of cutthroat executive who majored in gentrification or whatever she did. Like, I, there was a lot of stuff here that was just very silly and had me giggling. And there is a joke, a finale, uh, a finale song that is sung by who is also the director of this movie, Molly Gordon. It's her first movie ever. Um, she sings in the rehearsal a song. I won't spoil it. But it is a joke that was supposed to make me laugh a lot, and it didn't make me laugh at all. And then we hear that song again later, and it made me feel things. No, no, I know. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how, because I think it is not a great song and also not a very funny joke. And yet it combined to be a very funny joke that moved me at the end. And that is just kind of the the alchemy of music theater that this movie is doing. And I, I, it gave me an extra half star in Letterboxd for that. I was going to give this three out of five, like a, hey, you did your thing, whatever. And then it went out on a high note and I was like, damn it, 3.5. Life is too short. <laughs> you, you earned it, kid. The question is, was it 3.5 and a like? 
no, no, not not alike. <laughs> but yeah, I I think I, I mean I think that joke is supposed to not be funny, right? It's supposed to be cringe. It's not supposed mm. to be like a funny joke when it first comes up. But the way it pays it off, it's like, all right, slow clap. Also, I'm feeling stuff. But I didn't watch it right after Magazine Dream, so I didn't cry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was. I, I was happy for the light reprieve of this movie but it is just like a little it's like a a sneeze of a movie like it doesn't exist really other than the the few laugh moments and a catchy song at the end yeah also forgot to mention u.s dramatic special jury award for ensemble is what this film Mm. uh received the award for (laughs) yeah by far the most theater campy type award it could have (laughs) it could have received yeah um, all right. So the last film that we both watched uh, is the winner of the special jury award for cinematography in the world dramatic section. Uh, and that is a film called Mami Wata, which is a Nigerian film by CJ Obasi. Um, this is a movie that is a bit hard to explain if we're talking about the plot. It is essentially a folklore. I think it introduces itself as a West African folklore at the beginning. And it is telling the story of a village where they, if not worship, there is at least a god that they believe in called Mamiwata, who I believe is like literally just Nigerian pigeon for the the mother of mother water. of water. Yeah, um, you know, like the water goddess. And there is a leader that intercedes on behalf of the village. Um, to make sure that they get positive yields in their crops and to help people who are hurting and sick. Um, And this is a fable about kind of the loss of a belief in God or magic or folklore in this area. There's a daughter character who's kind of on the fence. She supports her mom, but she also believes that there should be doctors and hospitals and paved roads and other things. And she's kind of toying with modernity and then a man enters the camp and kind of changes the dynamic. Plot-wise, this movie is very, very, very simple and straightforward. It feels less like a full film plot and more like a, just like a little story you would read from a book and say, like, this was the legend of Mamiwata. What makes this movie stand out is the look and feel of it, the cinematography. Um, The movie looks amazing it's like black and white with high contrast um there are shots of like an overexposed sky and the ocean and then a character walking in front that i just found like breathtaking it ends on a sequence that just looks amazing even with a very low budget because of just how beautifully filmed and framed it is um and i think like the hair and makeup is amazing the costume design is amazing there's a lot of just really beautiful art direction happening in this movie that carried me through the light plot that I'm going to be honest, I wasn't a hundred percent able to follow all, all, all the ebbs and flows of it yeah. um, because I just thought it looked so beautiful. It, it reminded me of like Roma or Ida or those movies that just like every frame look incredibly compelling. And on what I imagine was a small budget, I think that is an impressive feat and it makes it worthy of this award. Um, it also reminded me a little bit, 
stylistically, this is nothing like Neptune Frost, which is an East African film from last year. But what they have in common is being about 90% about like visual and ambiance that you just have not seen in anything else before. And this did that for me in a completely opposite. Neptune Frost is like a kind of extremely hyper intense kaleidoscope movie. And this is like a very calm, collected, elegant. It feels like they're performing Macbeth or something, but it is a story that they're inventing that, you know, I I had never heard of before. Um, Maybe it is based on actual folklore, but I I believe the characters are an invention of the movie. Um, But yeah, it was, it was interesting. I, I was interested in the look and feel of it. Another time, language intrigued me too. Uh, I was completely unfamiliar with Nigerian pidgin, that kind of the language that has similarities to English, but has adopted its own dialect. And I found it compelling to watch, but it didn't carry heft in terms of story for me either. It was just like a, a, a beautiful art piece that I couldn't make a lot of tangible meaning out of. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a visually striking film um, that, you know, it's not just that it's black and white. It's not just that it's high contrast. It's like so extreme high contrast that you'll have like moments of pitch darkness with just like a figure and then moments of like extreme brightness that that are just it, it's it's really, really visually interesting as it's going. You know, the story, as you mentioned, this folklore story is is a very kind of small story. It's just kind of like a very, very straightforward. Here are the beats of it. And here you go. I had a problem watching this film and and for me like one of the one i found it difficult to follow along as you said like it was kind of hard to follow the story Mm -hmm. for me that came down to the baked in subtitles i if i what i would love is to watch this film with no subtitles at all because the problem for me is i i'm not i'm not the best reader in the world um and because nigerian pigeon is essentially just english with like the you know verbs and nouns like in different places i found it really really hard to see the subtitles want to read them hear the spoken dialogue understand enough of it but then read a sentence that was not structured with what i heard and for some reason i just had a really hard time kind of just i i couldn't not read the subtitles but because i was hearing it and reading it at the same time it was just really messing with my head and i found it very difficult i would love to see a version of this with just just listen to the actual dialogue track and not have that on on screen stuff to just let's face it take away from the visuals which is what you're really kind of getting into this film to see um but yeah i i i found it i found it interesting um but very very distracting trying to follow along and i wish i could have just experienced as a as a more visual poem and not as something i was trying to follow along with yeah no i I, I felt a similar tension. It's interesting, though, because I think subtitles are important because it, it is a it is a specific pigeon, like a dialect, where, yes, it, it comes from English words, but the meaning conveyed is not necessarily what you would get if you just put those building blocks and tried to imagine it in English. So I understand why they did yeah. it that way, but I also had the same struggle you did, where I wanted to just listen and, but then I also was reading at the same time. And it, yeah. um, for some reason, when a language bears no similarities to English, I can do both. Like I can hear the emotion in the language and read yeah, the yeah. translation. But this, uh, it also took me a while to, I think, uh, get in the rhythm of it. I feel like by halfway through, I was pretty comfortable. Yeah. Though. 
I, I think you could probably do a version where the subtitles are the literal pigeon, and then uh, any word that is important to know if it translates or not, just swap that specific word, but keep it so that mm-hmm. the words they are saying are what you are reading in the same order that they're saying right. it. And then it's just, then you have the extra context. It's it's kind of like if you, if you, <laughs> if you watch like an anime um, that has a fan translation and like they'll translate the English, but then they'll have like parentheses with just the word that, so you know that like, well, mm-hmm. in Japanese, this word relates to this. Other, like, it's kind of like they're giving you context right. as you, you do You can it. bring your own, you can bring whatever level of knowledge you have to it, yeah. basically. Uh, that that would be helpful, I think. <laughs> but yeah, it, it can't stress enough. It looks like a million bucks. Like, I feel like this director should get plenty of work after this to make more interesting, compelling tone poems. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, so as Stephen mentioned, we are now getting into the place that Stephen and I diverged, um, which is we we sort of bounced around and, and grabbed some other films that the other person didn't see. Um, back in uh, 2020, um, we also did Sundance Film Festival, um, but I think we had access to a lot more films. And one of the things that I threw on the list uh, was this, um, you know, seemingly tense, uh, potentially horish film called Violation, um, which is the story of a um, young woman who experiences uh, a sexual assault. Um, she is raped by somebody close to her, and the film Violation is sort of a a um, a dissection of the place it put that woman in and the way she deals with this violation that happened to her. Um, this film, uh, which won the World Cinema Drama Special Jury Award for Best Performance, um, is a similar type of story. It is a a woman who went through uh, this situation when she was um, younger, and she is now returning to her hometown to attend theoretically a memorial for somebody that she used to be really, really good friends with when she was younger. And she is arriving to this place with a giant block of ice. (laughs) And that is where the title when it melts comes from. Um, This is a film that like, you know, it has a content warning in the description has a content warning. You start the film It's definitely a film that is going to be dealing with uh, heavy subject matter. Um, And I was looking for, a sort of more interesting take, something closer to the film Violation, which I really, really liked uh, two years ago. And instead, I got a film that... uh, I don't know the best way to talk about it, but it is a film that kind of doesn't have anything... It telegraphs exactly what the story is about, and you're you're basically just watching this film waiting for a very brutal rape scene to happen. um, And then watching the older version of this character do exactly what you know she's going to do based on this <laughs> this anecdote that gets told to her as a child about a large block of ice. Um, and I thought this film was not very nuanced, um, puts you, the viewer, and the characters through a lot to see them go through this experience and doesn't particularly have much to say about it it's just sort of a, I, I it, it's a very, it's a film that I don't know needs to exist. Like you're, you're asking a lot of viewers to put themselves through watching it without actually giving them 
a a way to deal with the tragedy that you're seeing um and i yeah i i wasn't a fan i would have skipped this film if i could tell myself to not see it <laughs> uh, i all i want to say is this is the second year in a row where i think i have tipped you into adding something that is a, a <laughs> harrowing movie about a you know, girl or young woman experiencing something terrible, and then I back out and don't watch it. Uh, la- last year was Palm Trees and Power Lines. Um, oh yeah. This th- this year, you know, different um, in the nature of the trigger warnings, but you know, both of them pretty heavy, difficult movies. I think, and in both cases, after you watch it, I think maybe I'll get to that at some point. But uh, gonna be honest, I probably won't. <laughs> yeah. But I... thank you for waiting, waiting in that pool for me. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that that pool of melted ice. <laughs> yep. All right, take us take us home, Stephen. All right. Uh, so the movie I thought I was only going to watch six things this year felt respectable. You know, close enough. You wouldn't judge me. Uh, and was, you know, I, I'm still been moving, so it's been a busy weekend anyway. But last night. I was seeing a bunch of praise for the documentary that I almost added to begin with before we decided to kind of focus on narrative fiction this year. Um, And that is the movie Beyond Utopia, uh, which is a documentary that is sure to get distribution rights. I cannot imagine this will not become a widely seen movie. It probably already has been picked up, and I'm just too lazy to Google it. Um, (laughs) this, This is a story of people defecting from North Korea, uh, essentially. It it kind of centers around this pastor, Pastor Kim, who lives in Seoul, who has kind of made it his mission to work with brokers and operatives that he has kind of made a network of throughout China, Vietnam, and Laos to help people who are trying to defect from North Korea do so and make it to a non-communist country that will not extradite them back to North Korea, but will instead let them take refuge and potentially go to South Korea. Um, This movie, there is so much in the raw materials of this movie. Like, if you consider that a documentary is all about the subject and the story, this movie is a five out of five incredible must-watch, absolutely have to see it. I mean... it, it has cameras not just showing people escaping, you know, going through jungles across borders at night, uh, ducking when security guards are looking their direction. Like, it, the access this has is incredible. It also has footage from North Korea, like cameras that were smuggled into North Korea that are showcasing for one of the first times that I've seen, at least in a non-kind of partly manufactured or curated way, showcasing what it feels like to be there and it um the way it highlights the stories of you know the people who are defecting people who have been some of them have been beaten or put in camps they've had their lives threatened it it is just really really beautiful every time it is focusing on those people like amazing it it reminded me of a documentary like cartel land i don't know if you saw that where it just is mm-hmm. like um Filmmakers are filming incredibly gripping, dangerous, real-life things that are happening, and you cannot believe a camera is there to witness it. Uh, That is is the way I felt throughout so much of this movie. But 
if a documentary is about what you do with those raw materials, like what the filmmaker does to tie them together, I actually had problems with this movie. And apparently I'm the only one because everyone <laughs> seems to just be raving about it. Um, so here's the thing. The movie is amazing when it is focusing on the defectors and the families of defectors and families of people who are still in North Korea and talking about the logistics of how you can communicate and how you smuggle things in and out. And all of that is just powerful. And what is powerful is it's trying to tell us, don't think of these people as robots or as, quote, brainwashed people. Think of them as human beings with a real deep experience and then put yourself in their shoes and, like, consider their life. Like, consider what it would be like to be there and how harrowing it would be to try to escape. That is probably like 70% of the runtime. And then maybe to pad the runtime or maybe just to, I don't know why, the rest of it are like, it will throw in very standard documentary things like a helpful discussion of the history of Korea or interviews with talking heads about, you know, uh, Kim Jong-un and his ascent to power or things that feel like a totally different documentary yeah. that have no place in this kind of like gripping present tense thing. And I also feel like are actively harmful to the message because every time they do this, they are telling the most like cookie cutter, vanilla, Western imperialist, good, communist, bad story about North and South Korea and the Korean War. Like it, their helpful explainer is literally like there was a guy in the South who was freely elected and a puppet in the North who Stalin installed and they made a war happen. And now the people are stuck in this terrible thing. And, you know, there's no mention of like all of the U.S. manipulation that made that happen or the authoritarian things that we were pushing down there that made the North a viable substitute or like decades of sanctions or all these things that I have just happened to learn about over the years. Yeah. And like, I don't need a movie about people escaping North Korea to zoom out and be geopolitical and tell me all the pro the, all the things I don't need that. But when a movie is saying care deeply about these people, look at their humanity, imagine what it feel like to be in their shoes and then every time it is like about to hit an intense moment, it cuts away to have like a former CIA analyst, like some white lady tell me about <laughs> propaganda in North Korea and then have quirky music showing all the wild and wacky things they believe. It it felt very at odds, like it was mm -hmm. like othering the people that we are supposed to be internalizing. And apparently only I felt that way because everyone else liked it. But I, the way the editorializing comes into this movie every time it cut away from defectors telling their story i was like damn it movie go back to the good thing don't yeah. do the other thing um so i still highly recommend this movie like everyone should watch it because the footage is amazing but i was frustrated by how they decided to package it together and i it made it i don't want to say anything too extreme because i think everyone's heart is in the right place but it turned a beautiful gripping story into something that felt just like a shade of propaganda in a different direction and i really didn't like anything it did to shade things that way so i don't know yeah. that, that that was how i felt i just felt conflicted with 
30% of the movie, but the 70% is perfect, amazing, incredible. Everyone has to watch it. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm definitely curious. When you 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 met you messaged me and said that you were going to add this to your list. Um I didn't get a chance to uh, watch it last minute last night. Um but I do want to check it out once it is available. And also, I, I tried Googling while you were giving your spiel about whether it's not, not it's been picked up. As of Friday, it was still seeking distribution. Um, that is shocking. But at least that information came from an IndieWire article where the author of the review gave it a B. So you're not the only one, Stephen, who has problems <laughs> with the mm-hmm. film. <laughs> okay. But an IndieWire B is like a like 98% <laughs> to normal human beings. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, I closed that tab mid sentence. um, So I don't, uh, I can't give credit to the author of that article, but just wanted you to know. (laughs) The the closest comparison I can give is Citizen Four, the Snowden documentary, if if you saw that, where Citizen Four was like must see because of the unbelievable access that they had, you know, must see to be an informed person and understanding the world. But what the documentary did with it every time it cut away from Snowden, I was just kind of annoyed by it. Um, and, and again, everyone loved Citizen Four. It won all the things, but I just, I don't know. I have a problem when you toggle between personal and didactic. And I feel yeah. like a lot of documentaries try to be helpful explainers when they really, really, really don't need to be. Yep. Cool. Um, well, those are the eight films that we collectively got to see at uh, the 2023 Sundance uh, Film Festival. Uh, Stephen, I know, I know we mentioned about potentially having a quick spoiler segment um, for uh, Magazine Dreams. Should we just close out the episode mm-hmm. and then tag that on, tag, tag that on to the end? Sure. All right. So for now, for anybody who didn't get to see the film yet, um, and I guess that's really everybody mostly. <laughs> <laughs> if you were lucky enough to see Magazine Dreams, we will talk about it after this episode fully concludes. Um, but for now, Stephen Miller, people want to find you throughout the week. Where can they do that? Uh, people can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoiler warning, facebook.com slash the spoiler warning, or instagram.com slash the spoiler warning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at the spoiler or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from a track selected from artlist.io, so hopefully you're enjoying that. Um, that music is going to be playing, then the music will eventually fade out, and when it does, we're going to be in spoilers for the film Magazine Dreams, so if you hadn't uh, been able to see it at the festival you probably don't want to listen to the spoilers because we're going to be talking about the ending of that film um, for everybody else see you later we'll see you in our next review Hello, everybody who stuck with us, who hopefully are people who maybe you're driving and you're like, oh, shit, what do I do? How do I stop this episode? Because I don't want spoilers for this movie. Maybe you actually got to see it at the festival. But either way, we are talking right now about the film Magazine Dreams. We're going to be talking about the ending. Um, (laughs) Dude, uh, I'll edit this out if you don't want to hear. But do you want to admit that you text me? (laughs) 
during the film. You're good with it? I like that you picked... I, I like that you, yeah, sure. I, I like that you picked up on that though, because I didn't know that my text made it obvious I was watching it while I texted, but I definitely was. <laughs> I've, I felt like it had to be. <clears throat> All right. So, I, I, I teased in the in the main review that this film has many endings, um, and I talked about how that if this film ended at one uh, particular spot, that uh, it, this would be an amazing film. <laughs> it would be an amazing film. Um, that spot was around a time that Stephen Miller may or may not have uh, uh, given me or sent me a text <laughs> about his thoughts in the moment as it was happening. But Stephen, do you want to enlighten the listeners about what part of the film that was that you decided to text me and what you text me? Yeah, uh, so I was texting you when um, the Jonathan Majors character bought a bunch of intense artillery <laughs> and was putting it together and appeared to be preparing to plan a mass shooting. Uh, and what I texted you was basically me 75 or 80 minutes into the movie. This is a, you know, th this is the perfect ending. We must be winding down. You know, the, the story arc is basically over me 15 minutes later. Oh no. Fuck, 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 <laughs> fuck, fuck. Um, at the time, and the reason you must have known that I was texting you in the moment is no one who watched all of Magazine Dreams would highlight only that as the, as the moment because there are at least like five pivots left to go yeah, yeah. after that moment. But for me, the perfect ending of the movie would have been not long after the diner scene where he basically confronts the guy that beat him up before and then has this outburst and then gets tackled by police and like the way it juxtaposes him doing actual scary things to the way people perceive him and police brutality all, all of it wrapped together i was like oh my god this is so provocative and interesting give me another 10 15 minutes to like wrap up his story arc whether it goes positive or negative and then you have a perfect movie on your hands yeah and instead it just doubled tripled down in the violence but then it pivots in completely different places which i think is what you were alluding to before where if it had just doubled down on violence at least just pull an elephant like do the do the terrible atrocity do the shooting let us end horrified and at least then you will have made a statement you know and instead you can break down all the different other places that it goes so so you it turns out I was even a little bit wrong at the point you texted me because I thought you just texted me mm. at the diner scene. Like, because mm. to me, if you just end after him being arrested and it's sort of he's 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 going back and having that conversation with the therapist and it's sort of like end of movie, your dreams sort of went away. You realize that it's not your place. Your career is ruined because of like all the other shit that happened right there at the end of the film. And you're never going to do the only thing that you ever had a plan to do. And it's sort of now you're start. now it's like it's not a, it's obviously not a clean slate <laughs> because the internet hates him um and wants him to kill himself and uh yeah. you know like he's not he he's basically put himself in a place where not only can he not have the job that he really wanted now he's also going to have trouble getting potentially other work that's completely unrelated um he lost the job that he did have which apparently pays him enough to just eat ungodly amounts of food like i know that athletes have to eat a shit ton of food but maybe all the small competitions he was doing he was getting big payouts like every once in a while and that's sort of how he's making maybe, his living yeah. not from his normal job but that's kind of when i thought the movie was done and 
Yeah, I'm, I'm by the just to be clear, that is when I thought it should have been done, too. I texted yeah. you after it was clear it was not done oh, okay, anymore. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, because, I, I, you know, so when I texted you was the 15 minutes after yeah, I yeah. wasn't the fortune teller. Because you know? for, for me, what happened is I think I think Jamie came in and like had to tell me something or she was about to leave. So I like paused it for a second to say goodbye. And it was like I was like, oh, man, the credits are like here. I almost had an unbroken viewing of the movie. I hit pause and I'm like. There's 50 minutes left. What could mm-hmm. possibly be shown in these 50 minutes? This makes no sense. And then I, yeah. I feel like he leaves the therapist office, gets in his car, and out of nowhere, just makes a gun out of his hand and pretends to shoot like six people in a parking lot. And I'm like, where is this coming from? Nothing in this, like a person, like nothing in this person's life has even, con- like, it's not like in between lifting weights he's going and playing halo or call of duty or something right it's just out of nowhere he's like you know what i'm gonna start listening to some right wing right wing internet radio and order a bunch of guns and i'm like is this really yeah, so, so for me that i believed that descent because throughout the movie he is talking about the contempt he feels for the customers at the grocery store which is where he is now you know um pointing at people because he feels like they they don't see him or they don't care about him. Or I, I forget there's specific language that he uses earlier on yeah. about like, do you ever feel like they're looking down on you? You know? Yeah, yeah. And now that he's hit his lowest point, I believed all that. Like at this point I was more like, Oh, this movie is going darker and darker and I'm not ready for it. I wasn't yet frustrated by the movie. I was more just like, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> damn it. You're going deeper. Yeah. yeah. But, but for me, I was kind of like, but it feels weird because it's not like, so after he's already bought the guns, after he goes to the club where he's going to shoot, he, we think that he's going to shoot people. Then that one guy, he has that conversation with the guy doing coke in the bathroom. Who's like, man, mm-hmm. somebody should really just shoot everyone. But what's weird is he already made a decision to buy the guns so he could eventually shoot somebody. So it's it's not like somebody put the thought in his head and that, that thought grabs hold and slowly evolves. He's going to a club to shoot people, which, okay, let's pretend that you're mad at the supermarket people. Why are you going to a club to shoot people if the people that you want to die are the supermarket? I, 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 something, it was already a disconnect mm-hmm. for me and it felt weird. Then to go to the club with the intention of shooting people, have the guy... Tell him, yeah, somebody should go shoot. And he's like, I have a gun. He's like, yeah, fucking go out there and shoot people. And then I was like, this is this is not the way it's going to happen. And then he just doesn't. But then instead he goes and experiences a sexual assault from the, his childhood hero. And I'm like, now you're doing this? And I was like, okay. Yeah, that, that was where it lost me in terms of the number of endings it wanted to have. Yeah, so then it does that. Then he then he goes back to the thing is like, you're not my hero anymore. Also, I'm going to kill people. Then he goes on. I think he has another head fake where he doesn't do something. Then he goes to actually shoot his hero. Then he it, it acts as though he's so it basically has a scene where he goes to do it, but he can't do it because he's so in awe of this person. Then he just shakes that off and actually does it. But then that itself is a dream. And then he doesn't do it. And then he just goes and has a fucking happy life or something. Like, I, I, I this film is not strong enough. About you're, you're missing, you're missing when he goes to his former judge. Um, he breaks into his house and oh, does that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is another one of those endings. Yeah, yeah. I don't even remember where 
in this narrative it fell because it wasn't really related to i, I think it was i after, think that happens right after, after the bar the, the or the club, club. yeah 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 because he's like, yeah, I should kill somebody, but let me kill somebody who really deserves it. The guy who didn't think I had big enough deltoids. Let me show him by shotgunning him in the face. Oh, wait, but I'm not going to do that either. And I just feel like the film wanted to have all these endings for the character. And instead of picking one, it's almost like they were all queued up. And before somebody hit like print to disc, they were supposed to just like toggle off the ones that they weren't going to use. And they accidentally sent mm-hmm. them out with all the scenes. <laughs> Like that's kind of how it feels like to me, and I, I just yeah, it <sighs> it is definitely a lot. The, the two things I will say in its defense: one, and you're not going to disagree with this, Jonathan Majors remains incredible in the final fifty minutes. Yeah, uh, like he carries even when my brain wants to zoom out and go, why are we? in another head fake about him committing a shooting, you know, what is this doing to serve the story? He sells it so much. I was still like enthralled moment to moment, you know, watching it happen. Um, And the second thing is I don't think he has a happy life. Um, I think that ending is much closer to again, a Joker or taxi driver or King of comedy or whatever, where it is like, it is playing as if he's having a happy ending, a positive ending, but we know something is wrong. Like something is off. Like a thing that I wrote down because I was so like jarred by it is he's giving a kind of impromptu motivational speech at the end of the movie where he's telling his hero what he learned and what he learned is, you know, about having to be remembered. But what he like, the actual contents of that speech are kind of the ramblings of a person who is losing their touch with reality. Like he talks about like everyone, whether you're the king of China or whether you're the something, you know, like not emperor of China, the king of China. (laughs) I mean, like, I think it is intentional that the screenplay has him like, even in that moment, he's like trying to sound inspirational, but he's not getting it right. And I, I don't know if that all takes place in his head or if this is right before another break. But I think the feeling of the movie is this person has been fully, you know, dispossessed. He has nothing anymore and he is going to have kind of manic highs and lows, but he is a powder keg and we don't know what is going to happen. Yeah. I I think that is how it ends, you know, not, not happily. Yeah. One other thing that it's way before the endings, um, but it, it did make me laugh is. The idea that he couldn't take those three painter guys <laughs> was laughable to me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I know, I know. Yeah, it was just bad timing, basically. They, all it took was one of them hitting him because someone had a bat. Right? So someone like had a, a big pipe, but he hits him with the pipe. Like, yeah, he, like for a guy who rages as often as he does, the first guy who grabbed him, he would have just thrown him all the way across the yard and then knocked out the other two guys mm. with one punch. Like, he is so strong. <laughs> like, those guys could never have taken him. Mm. But it was pretty gnarly scene where he's just, like, super fucked up and drives drives to the to the competition yeah. and then just goes up on stage. Oh. Yeah, that is, a, that is a great scene. That also, it would be too early in the movie, lengthwise, I guess, to make it be the ending. But that would be, like, the wrestler ending, yeah, yeah. right? Because no. he goes up there, and we don't even see him. Maybe that was the cut to black that you were Yeah, that, that was when I thought it was literally going to end. And I was like, damn, that was good. 
<laughs> then I was like, uh-oh, where are we going now? Yeah. But yeah, Jonathan Majors, amazing. Film, mostly amazing. <laughs> but... Yeah, now the question, there are three possible answers. Do you think Jonathan Majors got ripped for this movie? Do you think he got ripped for the next Creed movie and this fell out of that? Or has Jonathan Majors always been this ripped? Uh, I mean, I feel like he didn't look this ripped in Last Black Man in San Francisco, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think he did. Maybe he was hiding it in baggy clothes, though. But but I also think that the, the specific type of... Because, you know, like... I bet you one of those other versions of him probably has small deltoids. <laughs> mm-hmm. He really like the just the scenes of him doing the weightlifting and the barking like that requires a level of strength that's not I need to get jacked for this role. That that's mm-hmm. like I am jacked <laughs> because you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it, it, it's it's not just put on the muscle so it's visually there for the camera it's he had to be able to flex like the little tiny muscle that's in between all the other muscles like you know like weird so that's the part that weirds me out so much it's just like when he's doing like the the things and he's like woof 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 i'm just like oh yeah. like i think like something's gonna snap in his neck or something or like when he's doing the right, right before he finishes the poses where he's like <laughs> i'm just like ah oh. It's making all of my arteries feel like they're snapping. Yeah. Ugh. Freaks me out. Yeah, anyway, you, di- you didn't answer the question. Oh, oh. So you think he was already jacked or do you think Creed was the impetus or do you think this movie was? I mean, I think that no matter what shape he was in, I, I think that this film required very specific training. And mm-hmm. I think that he was probably picked for it and then got more jacked. You know, like, I, I don't think Creed Jacked was enough for what he was doing here. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we have to compare and contrast how he looks in Creed and how he looks in this movie. And yeah. we can come to some consensus. Yeah, I, I think I think I mean, I've only seen the trailer a few times, but I feel like he's he looks bigger, but without all the little intricate. Like muscles right <laughs> like mm-hmm. like creed he's supposed to be huge so that he makes uh michael b jordan look smaller but he's not like each individual muscle doesn't have like 30 other muscles on it <laughs> yeah uh. all right i'll i'll accept it all right There's, we're gonna get the weird comments from like weightlifter bros <laughs> It's <laughs> like these guys don't know what the you fuck got they're the talking name of the about. muscle wrong. <laughs> There's only 27 muscles on that muscle. <laughs> uh, I can you imagine somebody <laughs> who just just was like YouTubing for uh, magazine dreams and sat through the entire episode just to hear our thoughts on that part. Yep. Sorry, YouTuber. <laughs> uh, but anyways, we're rambling now. We might as well. Uh, might as well put this episode to bed. Um, but yep. thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we will see you next time. Bye.